Hi, I'm Margie Namora, and welcome to another episode of our side dish, The Dream Dinner Party. This is the mini episode where we invite a guest to tell us all about their dream dinner party. This is a game I know a lot of people have played on long car journeys or maybe even first dates. So it's really fun to sit down with a different guest each week and hear who they would invite and what they would serve. You're allowed to invite four people, anyone you want, and I think it's basically impossible to listen without thinking of your own answers. This week, we have Sophia Moneycoot sharing her dream dinner party with us. As always, Sophia really embraced the concept and this was a really fun one. Sophia is a brilliant writer. She's a journalist, but also a brilliant novelist, and her writing is witty and clever. And as you will hear, she is just the same as her writing. Her latest book, Looking for Love, came out earlier this year, and you can find her on Instagram at Sophia M. Coots for more updates on her writing and books. Now, without further ado, here is Sophia's dream dinner party. So I think something interesting is happening in the world of dinner parties. I think for a long okay. time, people were a bit, I don't know, a bit snooty about them almost. And I think they're having a resurgence. What do you think? No, I would totally agree because I think what's happening, and I have this conversation with lots of friends at the moment, is going to restaurants is too expensive, mm. right? It's I'm talking from, from London, obviously. The amount it costs now to have dinner per head and sometimes what I particularly resent, especially in London, sometimes it's really very average and it's still really expensive. Um, And I would say most people I know um, are cutting back, have cut back, are going out way less than they were because it's just got so crazy expensive. And the rise of the like 40, 50, even 60 quid main course is absolutely ludicrous. Mm. And um, impossible for most people. So yeah. So I think what is happening is that people are doing dinners at home much more. Of course, if you're the one throwing yeah. a dinner party, then that's going to cost cash. But then um, it'll come back around to you when you get reinvited back to all of your guests. That actually should be the case. And also, um, actually recently, this uh, this Sunday just passed, I, um, I live in Crystal Palace and Sister Sledge mm. were playing in the park. And I had this big debate with some local friends. Do we go to see Sister Sledge or should we just sit in my garden and listen to Sister Sledge where <laughs> we could use my loose, we didn't have to go to Horrid Porter loose, we could have wine, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was like, and I can cook. And um, actually in the end, we couldn't even hear Sister Sledge oh, from no. my garden. Which <laughs> but uh, I did do dinner and I was thinking actually, because I thought we had two veggies and actually in the end they couldn't come. I did a mushroom stroganoff mm. and actually there are certain things. That's the other thing I've noticed. I was like, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to buy a chicken or something really expensive. I'm going to do veggie stuff because it's just cheaper to feed everyone. You're so right. Cause I think when I started the podcast and I was asked people about dinner parties, everyone was saying they never did them. And I think that coincided with the time where I mean, I I personally didn't enjoy this time, but all those restaurants where you weren't allowed to book and people were queuing around the block and, and, but you're right, it wasn't expensive. You know, it was like bubble dogs where you go and get a glass of champagne and a hot dog and that was very exciting. Mm. And now you're right Mm. that everything's become so expensive. And I, the only silver lining to that is that people are re-embracing the dinner party. So Sophia, this is your dream (laughs) dinner party. Let's begin by talking about the guest list. Who are you going to invite? quite an eclectic um quartet i would say so first up is the writer bill bryson Mm. because i have loved him ever since i was a teenager in fact he is really why i wanted to write i read 
everything of his when I was a teenager, which at that time was mostly his travel books. There's a collection of his columns that he wrote from America for the mail that he was writing like the early 2000s. I think they're called Notes from a Big Country. It's a book that I keep quite often on my bedside table because we're over 20 years on from that and they're just brilliantly funny. And his sort of tone, I love his comic touch and his tone. And people, there's a real literary snobbery, I think, about Bill Bryson. Oh, is there? Um, Yeah, there is a sort of, I mean, he's so phenomenally successful and he's obviously broadened out from doing sort of travel, but he, yeah, I think people sort of look down on him because, because it's, I don't know, it's very accessible, but it's hard, that sort of writing, that sort of light comic writing, I think people, because it's not very highfalutin or highbrow, people look down on it, but it's actually Mm. really hard to do that sort of comic tone. Maybe it's the kind of thing where like, fellow writers might be a bit snooty but actually as the reader that's exactly what you want yeah no no I think it is I I mean I love him I think it's I think he's brilliant and he can write about he has written about sort of you know such a wide variety of topics Mm. um and I've just always loved him and in fact I wrote him a love letter when I was when I was 15 did you I wrote him a fan letter well a fan letter I always say a love letter I'm just really clarifying in case Mrs Bryson is listening I wrote him a (laughs) fan letter and he wrote back and actually to my shame I lost the letter but I remember no. being so thrilled oh my goodness that's so nice that he wrote yeah. back he wrote back um and I remember it being a nice letter I wish I still had it because my mum when she was a teenager she wrote to PG Woodhouse and she still has the letter that PG Woodhouse sent back to her I was thinking of that when I wrote to Bill yeah. and this was my equivalent he'd be great on the dinner party yeah then next up Van Morrison um because I love basically for every every dinner party I ever have I have Van Morrison on Spotify in the background and actually my friend Gav, who came over on Sunday for Mushroom Stroganoff, was like, oh, God, can we not have Van Morrison again? <laughs> I'm in every year. You know when Spotify does their Spotify wrapped? I'm always... Last year, I was in the top 0.001% Van Morrison listeners. I write to him as well. My dad, I grew up sort of listening to Van Morrison in the car and with Van Morrison on the background because my dad loves Van Morrison. And I think this is like a comforting... You know, I know it all so well. It means that I can have music on in the background if I'm writing, but it's not distracting because I just You've heard it. it all before. I mean, the trouble is, I think he's become quite grumpy and Brexity and difficult in recent years. So I'm a bit nervous about inviting him to my dream dinner party. But I was thinking, you know, get him to sing a few songs around the table instead yeah. of having him on Spotify. Get the real thing. Yeah, and I think you can bring out the best in him. You know, you Hopefully, just steer, we'll steer clear of Brexit and focus on more yeah. positive things. <laughs> yeah. No okay, this is shaping up too. to be a good dinner party. Okay, next is Zoe Ball because I have recently reached an age where I have moved from, I say I've moved from Radio 1, I haven't listened to Radio 1 for ages, but I've started listening, I basically have Radio 2 on all day at home now and I love it so much. I particularly love Zoe Ball. She is extraordinarily positive and wonderful and warm and chatty and enthusiastic. There was even a moment I remember last year when she was, she was quite ill. She had a really bad cold, but she was in, in the morning. And she was like, Oh, we're all ill and we've all got colds. And she was so chatty. So I think if there, if there were any awkward silences, well, there wouldn't be any awkward silences basically with Zoe there yeah. because she would just like leap in and, and tell a funny story yeah and she wouldn't let van um, be grumpy like that's not happening no that's the other thing if van was sort of looking a bit miserable i think she would jolly him up was my thought she's a tonic yeah and having her around the dinner table would be great okay so yeah she's a babe so who's the final guest the final guest and i feel a little bit unoriginal saying this because i i suspect it's the sort of thing that lots of people the sort of person that lots of people might invite but it's charles dickens because i'm working on something 
Victorian at the moment, and I'm reading a lot of um, novels set in the Victorian times. I've just finished a, a biography about Charles Dickens, um, and I really want to ask him about the sort of smells, sights, sounds, noises of grimy, grubby Victorian London, because I want to write a book which captures the sort of uh, horrendousness on some levels. I always think about that when I'm watching any kind of period drama, like what what must mm. it have smelt like? They must have all smelt pretty bad. I think it smelt pretty putrid. And I think, actually, I don't think it was Victorian. I think it was in Georgian London that the rich used to go around with them. Um, what were they called? Like nosegays. Oh yeah, like a lavender bag. Clutch of their noses because the stench of London and the stench of the Thames, etc., and the stench of the streets was so revolting. Um, so I could ask that would be potentially off-putting for people around the dinner table <laughs> if we were talking. About. <laughs> I love that you've got but, a chance to speak to Charles Dickens, and the first thing you want to know is what did it smell like? <laughs> yeah, tell me exactly. Describe, and he could describe exactly because he was such a vivid. Uh, writer. I thought he could maybe chat to Bill. You know, Bill would be interested because I'm sure Bill would like to meet Charles Dickens. So I was thinking about sort of, you know, pairing everyone off with each other, basically. What is your favourite Charles Dickens novel? <laughs> oh, Margie, I was worried you could ask me that because oh. I've actually only read A Christmas Carol. <laughs> so basically, this, Christmas this Carol. Victorian project that I'm working on, it's it's set, it's based on a real life person who knew Dickens. Mm. Um, and I keep asking people at the moment in a sort of nervous way, which is the after A Christmas Carol, which everyone's sort of, it's, you know, entry level Dickens, what should I read? And people keep telling me different things. Um, but a friend of mine said very strongly the other day that I should read Bleak House. So I went into Waterstones and Bleak House is one of the really enormous oh, ones. Yeah, it's a biggie. So um, I need a sort of quiet period when I can really settle down. I don't think Dickens is somebody that you open and you read two pages every night because you'd never finish. I think you need quite no. a good concentrated. You need to go on like a very long train journey somewhere romantic. Yeah. Like and really get into something. Yeah. 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 I um I think I might not tell Charles if he was around the dinner table that I hadn't read that many of his no. books. Just pretend. Pretend you've read them all. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll mainly tell me about the smells, Charles. Um, So when you're planning a dinner party, are you the kind of person that's very organised? Like, do you know exactly what you're cooking well ahead of time? Do you play it by ear? How do you approach that side of things? No, I think I'm probably a planner more. I mean, not like, not weeks in advance. And the other thing is with me is I never do anything. It's never very particularly elaborate or sort of beautifully presented. I mean, there's always a lot of it. Um, But I would say I would plan. I quite like having most of it done before people even arrive yeah. because there's sort of nothing worse than that thing of people having drinks and sort of politely arriving and then you know sitting down while you're manically throwing pots on the stove or trying to whip something up you know maybe that day I quite often will cook something you know a big pot of something or a pie that day that I can just you know whack in the oven and heat up and do some veg with it or something mm. like that I think otherwise you just end up feeling a bit like you're a chef and then you yeah. don't actually get to spend time with your friends and you say goodbye and you're like I hope you all had a yeah. nice time but <laughs> I haven't really spoken no, to exactly. anyone it's sort of a bit awkward and you feel like you've been a bad host even though you probably haven't it's just all been a bit manic and then you're left with your sort of kitchen and a complete tip and like oh, what was that about <laughs> <laughs> wish we'd gone to a restaurant um, Slightly, yeah. <laughs> so this is an important question. When you have mm. people round, what time do you tend to ask them for? But then what time do you actually want them to come? Very good question. I'm always sort of 
quite keen for a glass of wine from 6pm onwards. So I ask people, I think, quite early. Sometimes I will say any time from 6.30 onwards. Of course, most people don't come at 6.30. I'm I'm often slightly annoyed then because it's like, come on, everyone. And they might not arrive. It's quite vague any time from 6.30. I do appreciate it. Some people might not arrive till 7 or 7.30, which I guess is the more traditional time for mm. people to arrive. But I'm basically earlier the better because then it's earlier to bed is my thing. Okay. Like I love having people over, but... I like it when they go as well. I don't want everyone still there at midnight. (laughs) No, that would be a nightmare. What we haven't talked about yet is set the scene. Are you having it at home? Yeah, so um, I found this old ramshackle, um, actually also Victorian flat where I am now, um, a few years ago in Crystal Palace. And uh, the previous people had had it for 40 years. So it was quite a state. And I've been sort of slowly doing bits and bobs over the past three years. And now I've got my kitchen to a place. You know, I love being in there. Um, particularly in the summer, actually. It's a very good summer sort of room. Mm. And you have a gorgeous garden as well, don't you? I have a lovely garden. I have these glass doors that open onto my lovely garden. So I really enjoy, um, and it makes me feel better about having, you know, spent money on renovations, having people here in yeah. my house. So I think Bill Bryson's going to really appreciate that. Hopefully he will really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I, I would hope he would. I quite like sort of soft, cosy, comfortable setting um, yeah. So everyone can sit around and drink wine, not obviously until midnight, until about 10 p.m. ish. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's where we are. We're in my kitchen, um, lolling around the table. It's cozy. It's warm. I'm sort of not too manic darting between the cooker and the table. Um, there's lots and lots of wine. Okay, that's the vibe. So everyone's now arrived. And the first thing, are you going to serve them drinks? Are they going to have like canapes? I think it would be better for everyone to be in the sitting room first. Okay. And then people can sort of loll around on the sofas. If I'm feeling generous and extravagant, maybe open a delicious bottle of cold champagne. And so they can be having cold champagne in front of the log stove with an incredible array of sort of, I love I actually love nothing more than just crisps and wine or crisps and champagne. So I'm always quite heavy on the crisps, olives, spicy crackers. Um, Sometimes, depending on how fancy I'm feeling, I make these little cheese parmesan biscuits. Those are so good. Yeah, it's just, and I have this thing and I, I think it's maybe just greed, but I don't like drinking now on an empty stomach. So I love, like I said, I love the 6pm first glass of wine, but I don't think it's probably very good for us to knock it back without any sort of nibble or snack. Mm. So that's why, that's one of the reasons, greed is the other one, why I tend to, um, I tend to have lots and lots of snacks laid out on the sort of coffee table in my sitting room. And then actually also if I'm going to, like I went to my friend Claire's house for dinner last night and I took a big bag of crisps to make sure Just that in case. Would be <laughs> Those are the best presents to take when you go to someone. It's something that you actually want. But then sometimes they don't open them while you're there and you just sort of, I find myself staring at them longingly. Yeah, particularly if that, you know, those um, nice posh ham on Iberica crisps Ooh, yeah. in those big bags. I love those. I don't like, people love the truffle ones. I don't really like the truffle ones, but they're like four or five quid a bag now or something crazy, those crisps. So it's quite, it is quite a nice present to take. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, if they sort of, you know, squirrel them away in a cupboard <laughs> and give you, I don't know, some cheap crisps, then it's quite annoying, isn't it? <laughs> that happens with wine as well, doesn't it? If someone brings you wine, are you meant to then serve them that wine? Or is that like a bit rude and you should actually give them wine? I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I never yeah, know what no, the I etiquette do. is. I don't know what the etiquette is, but I do remember when I worked at Tatler, someone quite grand there proclaiming during a meeting that, of course, one should never, ever take wine to another person's house because the implication is that you don't think their wine is good enough. And that 
occasionally plagues me as well. Yeah. If I go to stay with someone for the weekend, you know, like I, I'm actually, I'm going to stay with some friends in Devon this weekend. So I've actually ordered, because they've rented this very beautiful cottage in this very beautiful place. So I've actually ordered six bottles from Majestic to be delivered there. That's nice. How can that not be it's nice? It's quite nice, right? Yeah. It's a nice thing to do as a yeah. present. But, um, but then, I mean, th- no, they're not remotely snotty or grand, so they'll, they'll be thrilled. But, um, but uh, yeah, apparently it's this very old school thing that you shouldn't actually take wine because you think it means their wine is crap. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. But anyone that knows me will know I don't think that because I don't know anything about wine. <laughs> I, wine, I'm yeah, I drink any old crap really, to be honest. Yeah. You know, really cheap. Sauvignon Blanc is delicious to me, so I don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to sit down. What are you thinking about a starter? Okay, I don't know if you're going to be really disproving about this, but because I have done so many crisps and snacks and cheese biscuits and um, things before, I tend to not do starters. That's fine. Is it all right? I just think uh, it's a whole other course to think about. Mm. I am more of a... Well, if I go to a restaurant, I'm actually more of a starter person than a pudding person. But if I'm cooking, I think I'm more of a pudding person than a than a starter person. So yeah, so then we go straight into the main course, which I have to say will most often be something from, I think my favorite, I've got a prop cookery book <laughs> in the whole world, Otelenki Simple, is like, it's just, I because I'm, I would say I'm a sort of competent-ish cook, not a particularly fancy or um, experienced one. I love cooking when I have time. And Otelenki Simple is obviously Otelenki, but simple. Um, so, so it only has. Do you, you do know, his PR, Sophia? <laughs> yeah, no, I should do six or seven um, ingredients instead of like you know twenty ingredients of things that you can't find in Sainsbury's. Um, and everything I've made, literally, I've never had a book. I don't think where everything I've made has turned out so well before. Like mm. I haven't had a bad recipe from this book. So the things that I've done in here before, there's a really good. Um, spiced shepherd's pie it's got like butter bean uh, mash on the top instead of potato it's really good um have you come across chicken marbella no what's chicken marbella it's this really good recipe in also in this book i mean i should be doing the pr um chicken marbella it's basically just chicken legs or thighs you could do with prunes and dates dates and capers and lovely sort of gravy juice so you get the sweetness of the dates Mm. and the sort of saltiness of the olives and the capers it's honestly so delicious and so easy. Oh, my latest thing I love, I've learned how to make and I love it because I think it looks a bit sophisticated is saffron rice. Ooh. So I finally learned how to make rice, which is not that you boil it like peas and you keep stirring it. You put it in a pan and you put in the right amount of water and put on a lid and then sort of leave it and it all absorbs and it goes fluffy instead of mulchy and disgusting. So yeah, basically anything I can make with saffron rice. And I've got some really good saffron rice from... um this mad trip I had to do to, to Dubai earlier in the year for work. Um, so proper saffron and delicious saffron rice and maybe a green salad or something. Mm, that sounds amazing. With that method yeah. of cooking rice, you really have to trust it because the rice, mm. it looks like it will feed like one tiny toddler and then, and yeah. then but it grows. I know. So I it's always true. end up with and like it, mountains of rice, but um, you've got to... And it all fluffs up. Yeah, you've got to well, trust I think the it's always better. I mean, I definitely, when it comes to cooking for dinner parties, always over cater because I think I come from that kind of family. We're all quite greedy. We all eat a lot. And I think way better to over cater than under cater. I quite often, I think people slightly leave my table feeling almost sort of revolted. They're so full. But I think that's nice. It's like they've been at a sort of Tudor feast and they're (laughs) groaning, staggering away. But I think that's that's nice to go to. I don't want to go to a dinner party and sort of leave faintly hungry. No, like you don't want to have to go home and have a sandwich. No. 
So if you normally no. play Van Morrison as the background to all of your entertaining and you've actually got yeah. Van Morrison there, how are you going to approach that side of things? Are you going to play Van Morrison to Van Morrison and see what he says? <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't play Van Morrison to Van Morrison, no. Maybe I'd put on some sort of sophisticated classical music because I don't think we'd want to alarm Charles Dickens well- with anything too <laughs> avant-garde or modern. <laughs> He might be quite oh, surprised Charles. if I put on like Taylor Swift or something. No, Charles Dickens might be quite intrigued by Taylor Swift's lyrics. He might be mm. interested in that. But um, no, maybe some some classical. I'm a real one for just a Spotify playlist. Yeah. You know, quite often if I'm writing, I will quite often just go, I'll type into Spotify like uplifting writing music or happy writing music and then just put on whatever it throws up. I'm sure there are multiple dinner party classical playlists on um on Spotify so probably one of them who are you sitting next to I'd like to be next to Bill let's face it I think I'd like to be between Bill and Charles because Lubber Bryson and obviously I'm interested I need to talk to Charles about what London smells like <laughs> and and Zoe can be next to Van because in case he gets grumpy <laughs> sorry it's just making me laugh that Charles is at Charles is at your dinner party I don't know why um <laughs> <laughs> okay. Talking about smells. So, so the main course is done and it's now time for pudding. What are you serving everyone? So what I have done a lot is literally get an enormous bar of dairy milk and throw it on the table. <laughs> I'm impressed again. No starter, no pudding. Just <laughs> an, and also nobody doesn't like a big bar of dairy milk. Do you know what I mean? Like you throw it down. It's nice if you're having tea or mint tea. Chocolate mm. and tea is a delicious combination. Yeah. Chocolate and red wine is one of my all-time favorite. After Wine and crisps. I think wine and chocolate is my second favourite combination. Sophia, have you ever had crisps and chocolate? No. You can now get chocolate bars that have crunched up crisps in them? No. Yeah, and I, I know no. that sounds disgusting. I also think that sounds weird. But there's a woman who I saw her on a TV show and all these judges tasted it and they were blown away and they all said it was like the best thing they've wow. ever tasted. Yeah, including... She's an onion crisps in a chocolate bar. And this guy said, he's like a food critic. He said it was the best thing okay. he's ever tasted. Okay, no, I haven't. Just, I will um, I'll get into that. That's <laughs> fascinating. Okay. No, I mean, I yeah, maybe. Maybe some wine to wash it down with afterwards. I like your use of the word fascinating there. I feel like that was just <laughs> humoring me. Humoring me. I do chocolates, but I have made, I had a real success the other day, sort of accidentally. I made an Eton mess because it's summer and I was thinking, what should I do? As a, it was my job to do pudding for dinner at my brother's house. And I, M&S didn't have plain meringues. They only had hazelnut meringues, I think it was. And it was the world's most delicious. It was a Jamie Oliver Eaton Mess recipe, although really Eaton Mess is quite easy because it's cream and strawberries and meringue. Um, but he, he, I think, said put some honey into it as well. And I, I then obviously crumbled these hazelnut meringues and it was so, it just gave it a little extra something. Mm, that sounds good. Um, it was really, I have to say, very delicious. So, okay, so maybe um, that. Yeah. Hazelnut Eaton Mess. Okay, so after your dream dinner party, after all the food is eaten, what happens? Do you go out somewhere else? Do you play games? Do you carry on drinking? It's mostly carry on drinking, I have to say. Mm. If I'm with my mum and my siblings, we quite often, we're quite a big Scrabble family or we've got very into Monopoly deal recently. But it's probably more likely we played that just before dinner. So I have to say, I just love that bit after a dinner party when you're full, bit pissed, and you can just open another bottle and chat about life, love, and the universe. 
and Carol eating the chocolates maybe that are still in the middle of the table. I'm a big fan of a big box of celebrations, actually. So I will generally eat sort of 20 celebrations and then find celebration wrappers in my pockets for weeks afterwards. So, yeah, I just like a sort of chilled chat because when do we have the time really to just do that, to sit and chat with our friends and not worry about things? And so even at the dream dinner party, are you hoping that everyone's going to leave by 10? I think it's not necessarily by 10, but it's certainly before 11, I okay. think. I just, I find late nights really difficult. Um, and I also don't like going to bed without clearing up. Okay. If you have people over to your house. Yeah. I mean, I know it's the dream dinner party and maybe there's a genie who sort of waves his wand and does it all. But actually, I really like clearing up, getting a load in the dishwasher, wiping surfaces down so that you don't come down in the morning to half drunk red wine glasses, napkins, smeary plates. So I want everyone to go and then I can have a quick whip round and get a load in the dishwasher and then it's, you know, not as bad in the morning. And of all your dream dinner party guests, who do you think you'd be most likely to keep in touch with? Or who would you like to keep in touch with the most? I think it's between Bill and Charles. No offence to Zoe and Van. I think it's got to be Bill, actually, because I'm such a big fan and Mm. I've loved him for so long. And um, I would love his advice and help with my writing. Are you at all worried, you know, the old cliche about don't meet your heroes, etc.? Are you at all worried that meeting him, he wouldn't live up to your huge expectations? Uh, no, I, I honestly, I think he would. I think he'd be very, very amusing and be full of anecdotes and charming no, I don't think you could ever get bored talking to Bob Bryson because I just think mm. he would have so many fascinating stories. You know, I've listened to interviews with him before and no, he just sounds like an all-round lovely guy. So no, yeah. I think um, I think I'd be fine with that. Sophia, that was your dream dinner party. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. So there we have it. Sophia's dream dinner party is over. The food has been eaten. The guests have gone home. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure you're subscribed to catch all episodes of The Dream Dinner Party and Desert Island Dishes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.